0: Introductions are curious things. I'm not thinking about the introductions to a book or a play or even the introduction to a sermon. I'm thinking about introductions as in, hey, Mike, I would like you to meet Sarah. They can be uh, formal or casual, they can be funny. Uh, Introductions can be stressful. Uh, especially if you're the one doing the introducing and you're not 100% certain what you're going to say or how to say someone's name. Um, Of course, they're also perhaps stressful, at the very least insightful, if you're the one being introduced by someone else. So introductions are by design. They're not not very comprehensive, right? I mean, they're not going to be a big... They're not going to say everything about you. So when someone is introducing you, you have the opportunity to hear what it is that they think is significant about you, how they think about you. So it can be, Hey, Jeff, I want you to meet Mike. He is a good friend. Or, Hey, Jeff, I want you to meet Mike. Uh, he's Sherry's husband. Or, Jeff, I want you to meet Mike. He's the guy that lives down the street that doesn't bring his garbage cans in on time. Okay? It can also be, Hey, Jeff, I want you to meet Mike. He's a pastor, which I've routinely complained about. It's a showstopper. It it's sort of either means this is Mike. He has some sort of communicable disease, or this is Mike, and uh, you need to be on your best behavior, but generally it tends to make things awkward. So introductions can be interesting because they tell you what the other person is thinking about you. So in light of that, I'd like to... Ask this question How do you think Jesus would introduce you? What are the descriptors he would use? As it turns out, we don't have to wonder because uh, we we are introduced to that in John chapter 17. We get to listen into a conversation between God the Son and God the Father. This is the high priestly prayer that is recorded for us in John's gospel. So this is the first of a three-week series on John 17. Um, I I made the decision to go in this direction sort of late in the the sermon planning scheme of things. I, I have noted that I'm too old to be spontaneous. I try to look ahead. But this came relatively late. I decided to go here for a few reasons. First of all, Uh, it's John 17 it's a it's a sermon on prayer I think uh, we need to be people of prayer I um, I don't meet many people who are satisfied with their prayer life I think we can keep growing in that area Uh, and so um, I think who better to learn from about prayer than than Jesus so we get a chance to listen in to Jesus's prayer uh, secondly, chose to go here because John 17 is so incredibly rich. It is this, uh, it is this profound, uh, weighty uh, collection of words. So much more profound and weighty than the, um, than the loud words and half-baked ideas that we are surrounded by today. Um, this is a passage of Scripture that, um, again, it's just... Um, <laughs> If the the Upper Room Discourse is considered sort of the temple, some have said that it's sort of the temple uh, of of Scripture, then John 17 is sort of the Holy of Holies. Uh, One pastor, uh, Marcus Rainsford, uh, Irish clergyman um, a couple hundred years ago preached 41 sermons out of John 17, the 26 verses. So, not to be impressed with that because um, Thomas Merton, the Puritan divine, one-time chaplain to Oliver Cromwell, prime minister of Britain, he preached 45 sermons on John chapter 17. And then, to do both of them, Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, a British preacher, uh, wrote four books on John 17. So it's just, uh, it is just a very, very rich section of Scripture. Again, it comes at the end of what we call the upper room discourse. So this is, this is at the end of uh, Christ's earthly ministry. He is about to transition to, uh, to the cross, to that whole sequence of events. In John 13, we're reading about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. In John 14, uh, he's talking about the importance of him leaving so that he can go and prepare a place for us uh, to join him. In John 15 we have the vine and the branches uh, section of scripture. That's the, the rich, very rich uh, section that talks about our relationship with him. Um, talks about how life is tough so we need to care for each other. All this is followed by John 16 which is uh, talking about the fact that although we are going to have trials. We can have peace in the midst of those trials. And then that all sets up John chapter 17 which again is is the Lord's prayer. Now, it's not the Lord's Prayer as you may think of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's John, excuse me, that's Matthew chapter 6. That, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. But that is not really the Lord's Prayer in the sense that it's not a prayer that Jesus would pray. So he did, didn't have reason to think that he called God our Father like he taught us. To to pray. Jesus, of course, doesn't need to to pray for forgiveness of sins. Uh, So, this is a prayer that he was teaching the disciples to pray. Um, And John 17 is a prayer where we get to listen into uh, the dialogue that Jesus has with God the Father. So, uh, Jesus is often praying. Uh, We see this throughout the Gospels. We see that Jesus prays early in the morning, and he prays before he picks the 12, and he prays before he walks on water, and he prays for children, and he prays. I mean, he's praying all the time. This is the longest recorded prayer uh, that we have. So we we hear that Jesus is a person of prayer. We know that he's a person of prayer because the disciples, that's what they ask Jesus to teach them. They don't say, teach us how to walk on water. They don't say, teach us how to find, you know, coins in a fish's mouth, as he once did. They don't, they don't, they don't pray that. They sort of sense that, that uh, at the heartbeat of who Christ is in his ministry is his relationship with God, which is cultivated through prayer. And so they say, we, we want, we clearly need more of that. And so uh, we have all these examples of Jesus praying, but we don't generally get to hear what it is Jesus is praying for. This is the longest recorded instance of that. And so um, uh, we have a chance to listen in now to the prayer. Um, And so the first reason I want us to go to John 17 is because it's on prayer. The second reason uh, is because it's so rich. The third reason I moved this here is because of what he prays for us. And I think, I, I wrote in this, Friday's update. Um, I, I I mentioned that the ambient anger in the system continues to grow. And there's just a, a variety of reasons for that. It's not, it's not surprising, but it is a thing and it is distressing and it is something that I think that uh, we need to be aware of and that we need to be processing. And so uh, in light of that, uh, I want us to realize the things that are on Christ's heart to pray for us the things he wants to see that are true in our life it's it's instructive for us and so it, in John 17 it's it's encouraging to step back into note that that Jesus prays for you right Jesus prays for me so the the start of the prayer he's praying for himself he, this is a very stressful moment in Christ's life he is gonna he is about to be betrayed, he's going to be crucified, he knows all this is happening, and so uh, his stress points are high, and consequently, uh, he, is, um, he is praying for himself. Then he prays for his disciples, he prays for the 11 uh, that are coming, um, or that are still with him and uh, he prays for their ministry, and what's going to happen is he leaves, he's praying for them. Then he prays for those who come to faith through the ministry of the apostles, which would be us, right? I mean, it's a downline. It's, you know, it's a couple thousand years that it has cascaded down, but we stand in that genealogy. We stand in that lineage, and so Jesus is praying for himself, and he prays for the disciples, and he prays for everybody that is going to come to faith through the ministry of the disciples, and that's us. And uh, so what is significant is to note what he prays for, for us. So Jesus is praying for you. What does he pray for? Well, it turns out that he prays for four things. First of all, that we hold on to the truth. Secondly, that we grow in holiness. Thirdly, that we stay on task, that we stay on mission, and finally, that we remain unified, that we are held together. Truth, holiness, mission, and unity. These are the things that are on the list that Jesus prays for us. And so uh, I want us to walk through this over the course of the next few weeks. uh, John chapter 17, and so you can um, follow along. John chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this. So he's been talking to the disciples, and he's been telling them that things are going to get difficult, uh, that, that uh, they need to care for each other, things are going to be hard, that they can't have peace in the midst of hard, but they're going to have hard. Right? So he's, he's telling them. It's a point worth underlining he's telling them, he's telling you, he's telling me, expect trials, headaches, heartaches, hardships. In this broken world, uh, you should expect difficulty. So after he said all this, um, he said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So this is the way that the Trinity works. Uh, what one, one Puritan divine referred to as the sweet society of the Godhead. God has existed always and forever in the perfect fellowship of himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is a, it is a model uh, of, uh, of how we are to interact with each other. And so what you see is that they're, they're never... I mean, you never hear the Father say he's great. You never hear the Son say he's great. You never hear the Holy Spirit say he's great. What you hear is the Father saying the Son is great. What you hear is the Holy Spirit saying the Father and the Son are great. What you you see is that there's just this constant deference and adulation of the others. And so uh, Jesus says, Father, glorify me that I may glorify you. For you granted him, and um, so he's going to speak in third person, which, um, which can be a, a little hard. So let me just say, uh, let me put it in first person. So, so Jesus says, for you granted me authority over all that I might give eternal life to all those you have given me. So, time out. Let's just note. Let, let's, let's note that Jesus is checking in. With the Father, and he is saying, Father, I, I am on task. I have completed the mission. I'm just about done. Uh, and let's note what the, the central task is that he's reporting in on. So the central mission of Jesus um, is, is not that he was going to teach or that he was going to heal or that he was going to serve others or even that he's going to love. All of those things are absolutely mission critical. The, the teaching of Christ, the love of Christ, the serving, the, all the things that Jesus does, uh, they are absolutely mission critical. But what he says here is, uh, you granted me authority over all that I might give eternal life to all those you have given me. So the, the central purpose for which Jesus has shown up in order to to fulfill his assignment. The the central reason that Jesus steps down out of heaven and becomes one of us is so that he can uh, secure for us eternal life, so that he can die in our place and grant us the gift of eternal life. Um, He acts as the mediator between the Father and the Son. And uh, he, is, he is unlike any other mediator because um, he does not have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins. Right? He is a priest that is unlike any other priest. Verse 3. Now this is eternal life that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Um, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work of you gave me to do so um, remember Jesus sat down so um, I have I have from time to time brought out my little Ethiopian uh, stick Uh, I bought this I don't know 10 years ago when I was uh, in Ethiopia and attended an Ethiopian Orthodox Christmas service the uh, Ethiopia doesn't follow our calendar So they're like four months difference in terms of of the months, and they're also like eight years behind the rest of the world in terms of the way they number things. I I never completely understood it, but I was there, and it was their Christmas. And um, so uh, we went to their national cathedral, which is a trip in and of itself, because um, Haile Selassie sort of claimed to be the Lion of Judah. I mean, you got all that crazy stuff going on there, and a lot of the a lot of the stained glass uh, in this national cathedral was more about Haile Selassie and how he fit into the biblical story, which of course he doesn't. But among other things that I took away in that service was was remembering that uh, that a priest is supposed to stand until their work is done. So Hebrews 1 says this for us. Um, so Hebrews 1 says, Uh, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the Heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance. So, this is a description of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power after making purification uh, for sin. So, again, His mission. making purification, after dying in your place, after paying my moral debt, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the point is, he, Jesus didn't sit down until he was done with his assignment. Priests in the Orthodox tradition understand that they are not to sit down until they have completed all their tasks. And their services can go seven or eight hours. Uh, again, 65 minutes. I mean, I, okay, different different sermon. The point is, in the Orthodox Church, because the priest can't sit down, a lot of the priests are, are relatively old, they prop them up with these sticks. So they, they have all these sticks that are designed to hold the priest up. And Throughout the service, someone will grab another stick if the priest starts to look like they're wavering. And they'll come and they'll stick another stick in. So they got, you know, at the end of the service, you can see this priest standing there with like seven or eight of these things. Holding him vertical and in place. But uh, Jesus Christ sat down. He made purification for our sins and then he sat down. Um, Verse 4. I have brought you glory, this is Jesus, Um, I have brought you glory by completing the work you gave me to do, right, so then he's done, sits down. Verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So I'm done, I finished the work you gave me to do, please uh, elevate me. I'm, I'm ready. I, I left heaven. Jesus left all the, the glory and honor, the rights that were, that were his in heaven. He uh, humbles himself, Philippians 2. He empties himself, comes down, becomes one of us. While remaining fully God, he becomes fully man. And uh, he's saying, okay, uh, been there, done that, and now I am ready uh, to, to come back to heaven. Verse 6. Uh, He now shifts the focus from himself, praying for himself, to praying for uh, others. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. So he's now, he's praying for us. Uh, And he's going to describe us and we're going to gain some insights about Jesus thinking about us uh, because of the things that he prays for. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So how do they know? Right, so how do they know these things? Uh, how can you know these things? Because this is what Jesus taught. Uh, again, it's almost as if Jesus is reporting in to the Father on the mission that he has completed. Verse 8. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world. So he's not praying for everybody, right? He's praying for those who have, who have, been, uh, who have been accepted, those who, for, who have confessed their sins, those he has died for. Uh, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, uh, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So, (laughs) again, there's so much here. I, I, I am not at all surprised that uh, someone could get 40 sermons out of this, 45 sermons out of this. I'm a little curious as to how uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones got four books out of it. But this is a profoundly rich passage. When I was um, a seminary student, uh, Robert Coleman um, was a professor, and he was... uh, fairly prominent in, in those days in sort of evangelical circles. He'd written a book that had been translated into like 40 languages. And, um, and I, one semester, I was a study assistant for him. And uh, so I had the key to his office and, and we would go into his office at night and, and study and, and I, I don't want to say goof around, but maybe goof around. And I remember uh, one night, we were in there. There's three of us, and we were studying. And somebody started to flip through his Rolodex. And they're like, "Hey, hey, let's see who Coleman knows." And so they're flipping through his Rolodex, looking at the names. And we come to the name of Billy Graham with his uh, home phone written. This is before cell phones. It's just you know, home and office and personal. And we're like, "We got, we got Billy Graham's phone number. Let's call. Let's call Billy Graham." Uh, we didn't, by the way, but um, Coleman was sort of um, uh, was was he had some uh, cachet in sort of the broader uh, church at that moment, and um, he had a Bible study that I was in, and uh, I was supposed to pick him up. He didn't, uh, interestingly, he didn't drive much, and so uh, he always had students driving him around, and I was to be at his house. In the middle of the winter, uh, January, in Chicago, uh, I was to be at his house at 10 to 6, so 5.50. I was to be there to pick him up every Wednesday. And then we would go to his office, um, and we would have a Bible study. And the Bible study uh, in Coleman's office was on John 15, uh, 16, and 17. We were just in those three books for the entire year. And... uh, (laughs) What I remember is uh, we would sit. Uh, we were sitting in couches and on chairs, and uh, and 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 Dr. Coleman would read like three words, and uh, he'd close his eyes, and then he'd start to sing, and then he'd pray, and then he'd repeat those three words, and then he'd sort of preach, pray. You know, his eyes are still closed, and you're sort of listening into his prayer, and. Uh, he was amazed at this passage of Scripture. What I remember was uh, being aware that he was getting a lot more out of this study than I was. Like, I was not nearly as uh, enlightened by the passage as he, uh, as he was. But uh, I come back to this, whatever, 35, 40 years later, and, uh, and I guess what I would say is I am aware at a... At a deeper level, how deep this passage is. So if before I could dive down uh, 10 feet into the text, I can now dive down maybe 15 feet, 20 feet, I don't know. But the, 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 the ocean right here is about two miles deep. So I feel like we're just barely uh, scratching the surface. So we're going to be here for the next two weeks. And I want to particularly dig, dig in on the prayer request for uh, truth that we hold on to truth, and the one about unity. Uh, But I want to say just a a little bit here to you as as I wrap up. So um, Christ's description of us in this prayer is really threefold. We, you, are unique. Unique people chosen by the Father. Uh, Secondly, we have been given to the Son. So what is it that's that's special about us? We have been made in the image of God. We have been chosen by the Father. We have been given to the Son. And we are not of this world. He he will say, we are in the world but not of the world. I'm leaving them in the world but they're not to be of the world. This sort of picks up on the whole Augustinian uh, uh, two cities analogy. The city of man, the city of God. We are living in the city of man. And we are to be engaged in the city of man. But our ultimate, final, eternal citizenship is in the city of God. So um, in light of that, he goes, I'm leaving them in the city of man. (laughs) But they are to be citizens of the city of heaven, the city of God. And so he's describing us as those people who at the moment have these dual citizenships. And he wants us to be certain that we are going to uh, be holy even though we are living in a time that is difficult and broken and corrupt. And there are, there's a lot of ways that we can be sidetracked. He not, does not appear to me that he's praying for our physical ease in any way. But he's praying that in the midst of the challenges that we face, that we are going to remain uh, in line. We're going to remain uncorrupted. We're going to remain pursuing holiness. He's also praying that we're going to stay on mission. That we are going to understand that we are living today in light of eternity. That we are we are citizens of another world, and uh, that we are we are to be bringing the king that that world to this world. We are to be bringing the the kingdom of God, the values of Jesus, the love of God, the gospel itself to this world. Uh, and then, of course, he prays for our unity. So. Look, I want you to be encouraged um, this morning. Uh, I can't ask you to understand all that's in this passage. I don't understand all that's in this passage. Uh, but I can ask you to be encouraged and humbled by this fact. As Jesus prepared for his death, indeed, as Jesus prepared to go to the cross for you and for me, he was praying for our ultimate success, and thriving. You are on the heart of God. You are on the heart of God. And we have been called to live as citizens uh, of, of another age, of another king, that is King Jesus. Be encouraged. We'll be back here next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear uh, your heart for us, Lord Jesus, we thank you for praying for us. We thank you for being our advocate. We thank you for being our savior. We thank you for being our high priest. And I pray for myself as I pray for others that we would be people who would, uh, who would pursue holiness. We would be people uh, who would uh, live in light of another mission. That we would be people who would be unified. That we would be people that would hold on to truth. Uh, we would be people who would be modeling our lives after your lives and the grace and the love that you have extended to us. May we extend that to others. Guide and bless us this week. Pray especially for those who are struggling right now. Uh, Father, may in the midst of struggles, may they know your love and your peace. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.